One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because there are serious worries and concerns about our ability, indeed, to fund Northern Ireland's health service. I want to speak to John Compton, former head of the Health and Social Care Board. Uh, John, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Really worrying statistics uh, coming out, indeed, from Richard Pengelly. And he's warning that the current deficit, if it continues for, say, the next couple of decades, our entire budget would be swallowed up by health spending and he he actually has used a great quote where he says we have enough money to run a world-class health service but we don't have enough money to run this health service are we getting ready to close hospitals i don't think it's anything to do with closure frank i mean i think there's there's the first thing is that it's rightly pointed out that it takes about six percent a year to run the health service honest as it stands and that's because we're getting older and there's more care for older people there are new treatments and technologies and we have to pay people a little bit more that's how the six percent is made up but if you have an unreformed health service you're probably spending maybe up to nine percent a year and i think what he's hinting at is that we need to reform the health service because at least we need to control that three percent now even if we did do that and did all of that and control the three percent we still will have the conundrum and the challenge of how to raise the six percent because that's not going to go away so how do we go about it one of the statistics well i mean it describes that there are 11 hospitals but just on this point there are 11 hospitals in northern ireland providing emergency or acute services one to every 170,000 people across in wales it's one to every 230,000 people Yes, that, that, that's correct. That, that information is correct. But I don't think you should, you should ever link reforming hospitals with money. I mean, money is a, will probably be a byproduct. But the real reason to reform hospitals and the real reason to see them change is about better quality of care. I mean, we had the recent anniversary of the, um, uh, you know, the uh, PCI service that they, when you get stents for, for heart attacks. And uh, we have two centres in Northern Ireland. So everybody would understand that if you need that sort of intervention, uh, you're pretty sick. Uh, you're life-threateningly sick. And yet we're able to do it very, very successfully in two centres in Northern Ireland. Uh, you have to change how you run your emergency ser- surgery services. You have to think about where stroke services would be and how many of them you should have. And again, the recent consultation on breast care. None of this is about reducing ser- reducing the access to service or the quality of the service. It's about improving it. But it does mean change. And uh, hospitals will need to change. There's a very vibrant role for local hospitals in terms of 
diagnosis um, uh, and, uh, if you like, daycare treatment and all, all of that, and providing care for older people, but not in the field of advanced technological interventions. It's just simply not possible to do it. So what other steps need to be taken? If you look at it from a cold, hard perspective of cash, what's on the menu? I think the first thing to do is you need to have a really serious debate with the public about what is the contract that we have. Right now, we have a contract which sort of says um, we're free at the point of delivery and there's no defined benefit. That means any of us can go to our system and say, give me the best treatment I can possibly have. Well, you know, we do have to understand there are costs with that. We do have to understand that uh, if... And Northern Ireland is a, is a deficit payer. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't raise the money that it needs to buy its public services. It's entirely reliant on subsidies from the rest of the UK. So I think we really have to have a serious debate about what is the basic contract. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for that will be in care of older people and who pays for care of older people. Uh, it's a very controversial thing. You know, um, should older people be charged for their care or not? Um, and you'll get very, very strong uh, views on both sides of, of that argument. But it doesn't remove the fact that somebody has to pay. If older people are going to have to pay for their own care, they're going to feel really robbed, aren't they, considering how much they paid into the system on the way through their healthy years? Well, yes, you see, in our health system, the truth of the matter is that people who pay tax to the health system, by and large, don't use it. So the biggest consumers of, of people using our health system are those who are younger and those who are older. Those, those in, in midlife who are at work you know, do use the health system, of course they do, but they don't use it in terms of large scale. Fortunately, we live in a society where most people now enjoy reasonable health uh, during, if you like, the, middle, the long middle part of, of one's life. Uh, as far as that is concerned. So we are left with this conundrum as to how to pay for these things. And, you know, it is at one level complicated, at another level quite simple. Either the individual pays for their care or their grandkids pay for their care. It's, it, there isn't any other choice. It's, it, you know, that's, that's how it is. And I think we have to have a debate about how we do that and what people think is the right thing to do. And can we have a debate while we haven't got politicians? Can we have a debate while we haven't got government? We've had that many reports yeah, into the very, service. We could nearly very, run a football team on some of the names that uh, have come to the, the, the fore. Report yeah. after report. Will, will any of them actually be implemented? Well, I think the big difficulty with any, and I, I know this only too well from, from my own background, the big difficulty with any of this is that you will get a proposition to say we want to change and we want to modernise our health service, and everybody will agree. And immediately that change expresses itself in some way locally, you get controversy, challenge and often court action. You know, we do have to get to a point as a society where we have to agree that we need to implement reform and change. Because if we don't, all we will see is the gradual erosion of the standard of health and social care that we have and we have access to. And, you know, uh, it's like all things in life. You know, you can, you can drift into that sort of unpleasant, difficult place and it's very hard to get back out of it. So it is very important that we have an active debate. And, of course, the critical on that is you know, we just need a, a start up working and, and functioning because political leadership in the middle of all of this is absolutely critical.
And finally, John, can we make health non-political? People have tried that in, in the past. Can, can, we be in, can we get to a position where parties aren't tearing each other apart over it? I think it's quite difficult. We can make some progress. But, you know, when you're in a tax-funded system, um, the way we work in a tax-funded system is that Parliament decides how much you get and Parliament allocates the money. And that's extremely difficult to remove politics from that from that debate at that, at that point in time. I think there are ways in which we can mitigate, uh, if you like, the um, unnecessary intrusion and the, and, and, and the huge sort of political infighting that, that, that occurs. Uh, I mean, it was interesting that in, with the Ben Goa report, uh, uh, Michelle O'Neill seemed to have secured you know, cross-party agreement for its implementation. But then things, you know, went wrong in terms of Stormont, and we never got to see whether that would hold. One would hope that that would hold a little better than it has in the past. Okay, really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, John, thank you very much indeed. John Compton, the former head of health and social, the Social Care Board. Uh, this is the U105 phone, and we're live from Temple Patrick this morning.